Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah asked the question, Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a country be changed in a moment? We believe this audacious question has been answered. In late 2011, President Lobo Sosa of Honduras opened the doors of his government to a new missions era. The nation, overrun by violence, was desperate for hope. After two years of strategic planning and preparation, One Nation, One Day was born. In July of 2013, the largest missions team in history gathered in Miami, filled three chartered 747s, and were strategically placed in every state across Honduras with a goal to reach every person in the entire nation. For one week, medical brigades, humanitarian teams, school ministry teams, and national leaders' conferences impacted hundreds of thousands of Hondurans. At the end of the week, Honduras gathered in the 18 largest stadiums in 18 cities simultaneously for a moment that would shift the course of the entire nation. Father in heaven, we invite your kingdom to come to the nation of Honduras. In a moment, the global church stepped into a new missions era. In 2015, the One Nation, One Day vision spread to the Dominican Republic. The world watched again as One Nation, One Day forged top-level government partnerships and the national church united for the salvation of their nation. In 2017, the momentum across the globe erupted, mobilizing our largest team to date. 2,858 missionaries representing over 100 different churches from 33 nations and five continents descended upon the nation and reached one in every seven Nicaraguans face to face with the gospel. The years following One Nation, One Day campaigns have been marked by measurable transformation. Government leaders collaborate to create solutions to national social issues like gang violence, domestic violence, education, and unity. Follow-up campaigns organically birthed within each nation have marked the sustainability of this new missions era. An era where the global church would unite for the salvation and transformation of entire nations. An era where every person, in every city, in every school, every home, every street corner across the nation can have a face-to-face -face encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Great Commission was not simply that the church would grow, but that the church would lead. The church united is going to do what the world divided could never do. Can a nation be saved in a day? Yes, it can. Isn't that incredible? Can we just give it up for what God's doing? Amen. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce my great friend, Pastor Gabe Ballhorn. Can we give it up for him this morning as he takes the stage? Good morning. How you doing this morning? Did you guys have a good weekend? We have some college football fans in the room this morning. Did your team win this weekend? There's some division even between you two, I know. So I could hear your subtle lines in terms of colleges that are near and dear to your heart, Pastor Josh. You know, can we give it up for Pastor Josh and Brittany this morning? Met them several years ago and have loved to just watch and see what God has done already through their life. And um, can I just tell you this morning that whether you know it or not, you are sitting in the seat that someone else has paid a price for you to be in this morning. And what I love about this journey of faith that we're all on is you're just in the right place that you need to be right now in this moment. 
And um, I do have a little bit of updating for you to do. Again, my name is Gabe, and uh, we're from, our, our ministry is, is located in, in Southern California, beautiful Southern California. I paid, I did my, my time. I actually grew up in Michigan in cold winters, uh, colder than what you guys have around here. And so I thought I was going to die for about eight months a year. And so I've done my time, and God has looked upon us with a glimmer in his eye, and we have, we have moved to Southern California, and it's been a, a, a big move for us, of course, culturally, and things that are taking place. So we just finished our fourth One Nation, One Day event uh, in the nation of Peru, and we brought 10,700 missionaries into a nation of 33 million people, and we rallied together with roughly 200 churches from 43 countries to come into a nation that had been divided, where we saw church division and political division and corruption and things that were happening. And we came together as one voice. You know, the vision of One Nation One Day uh, that we just showed the video of is to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of entire nations. How many of you know that God is concerned with city transformation and national transformation? You know, we don't just attend a church on Sunday to bottle up what we hear on Sunday and leave and then go through our own lives and our separate lives Monday through Saturday for, for, for our own benefit and our own purposes. We have been called and created and chosen and set apart. How many of you know you have been set apart? There is a mark on your life that is unique. It's special. It's, it's beautiful. And, and we get the ability to come together as a church and see God do some historic things in the times that we're living in right now. You know, I believe that we are living in perhaps one of the greatest ministry decades since the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now that statement does exactly you just did exactly what always follows when I say that statement because that's a big statement. Can we have some fun this morning in, in church? Is that okay? I believe that we're in the greatest ministry decade since the death and resurrection of Jesus for one reason. For one reason and one reason alone, and it's because the world has yet to see the power of a church that's united. When we come together as one church as one bride. Now, you may have grown up in this church. Uh, you may have been here for 10 years. You may have just joined this church uh, this last year. You may have stumbled in here this morning somehow looking to rent an apartment next door, and you made it in here. No matter why you're here or how you're here, there's a reason why you're here this morning. And I believe that if God shows up, if Jesus actually showed up on a Saturday and he wanted to go to church on a Sunday, where would he go? He would go to his church. We are all one church, one bride. And when we come together, that's nothing, there's nothing that's impossible for us. And so we began to, to dream into this idea and let me tell you about something that's in front of us right now. How many of you have, have you know, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't really like to turn the news on very often uh, because I like to sleep at night. And, um, you know, if the, the world around us has really changed in our lifetime. And um, there are, we're, we're living in really chaotic times. 
times that cause us to ask questions about how we're to live our life, times that cause us to, to protect what we've built our, our whole lives, times that cause us to say, geez, God, do I really want to raise my kids in these times that we live in? And, and how many of you know with every problem in our society, it's always God's way of having his church have an opportunity to come in and to shine like never before? I believe that the church, that the bride of Christ, that us as the church have uh, just such an open door right now to step out into our communities, to step out into our city and our workplace and shine like never before. And, 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 and like I said, we've been to four nations with One Nation One Day, and we've mobilized over 16,000 missionaries in foreign nations, and we've gone through and, and thought, man, the principal mandate of our life as a ministry was to mobilize missions to the world, and that's a very much part of what we're supposed to do as a ministry, as missions.me, one nation, one day. We are to mobilize people to, to unite the church and see nations transform. That's the mandate on our life. But in 2014, 2013 rather, Pastor Tommy Barnett of the Dream Center came and he, he spoke at that event and he spoke during One Nation One Day and he was one of our keynote, keynote uh, speakers and we, we gathered about 30,000 uh, church pastors and spiritual influencers. We had this massive conference where the president of the nation was there, and it was this unbelievable moment where we we saw the nation come together like never before. Now, let me just tell you something real quick. Um, one year after One Nation One Day took place, the president of Honduras came to us and he said, you guys need to realize something. I realize that you can't fix a nation's problems in a moment. I'm not that naive. But that moment that you created started a momentum in this nation that shifted the trajectory of our nation. And one nation one day in the nation of Honduras, the president of a nation said this. He said, one nation one day in Honduras was the single greatest moment of hope in our nation's history. And Pastor Tommy Barnett of the Dream Center and, and Dream City Church was there with us in 2013. And he, I, I don't know if you know Pastor Tommy Barnett, Josh, you know Pastor Tommy Barnett, but he came up to us. But he, he, he's the sweetest man that's probably ever breathed there. Um, and he's no shortage of compliments. And he's just so sweet. So he stood with us and he said, this is the greatest missions thing I've ever been a part of. Now, he's probably said that to everybody, you know. Um, in fact, I know he has, okay. But, but we took it at the time that it was the one and only time that he had ever said that before. And he said, I want to bring you guys out to Los Angeles. And at the time, we were still suffering through our lives in Michigan. And, um, and so we said we'd love to come to Los Angeles and get some sunshine. And so we, he brought us out to Los Angeles. We toured the Dream Center. And we spoke on the Thursday night at Angeles Temple. And, and uh, he, he pulled us aside afterwards. He said, hey, guys, the real reason I brought you to Los Angeles, there's a real reason. There's a hook. There's no such thing as a free lunch. He said, the real reason that I brought you to Los Angeles is because my son Matthew and I have had a dream for this city. And the only manifestation that we've seen in our natural eyes is what we saw take place in Honduras. And he said, what would it look like if we rallied the church, if we rallied people together from nations, as we brought the church together? And what would it look like if we came into Los Angeles a city that has been marketing and giving pop culture and, 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 and sending a message to the world for far too long. That's been a negative message. What would it look like if we rallied the church together and we came together in, in the media capital of the entire world and we put a flag in the ground 
and we said, this is what the church is. This is what we do. And we watched, we walked into Los Angeles and, 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 and we marched to the, to the, to the theme of, of love and, and loved on a city irrationally. What would it look like? And for us at the time, we said in our hearts and in our, well, not necessarily in our hearts, but in our minds, we thought this guy's crazy. He's 80 years old. He's over the, he's lost it. We can't go to Los Angeles. I, I don't know. We're supposed to be in the nations. We're supposed to leave. And, and, and so a couple years go by. We end up relocating our, our ministry to Southern California. And that w- wasn't really related. We were driving the streets of Los Angeles. And the city began to come in, onto our hearts so heavily. And we had a passion for the city, the brokenness, the 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 people go there and they use the city and they abuse the city and they try to take it for everything it's worth. And, and I, you know, as I began to drive the city, I realized, man, this is one of the most influential cities in the world when it comes to culture, media, pop culture, Hollywood, all of it. And it's a place of broken dreams. It's a place of people who have hit the very rock bottom, but have the appearance on the exterior and on the, on the outside that they've hit, that they're on the top of the mountain. It's a place of disparity, hurt. And that city began to burn inside of us about 18 months ago. We sat down with the Barnetts again and we said, hey, we don't want to ask you or give you an idea. We want to remind you of something that you asked us about back in 2013. We said, do you think there'd be anything that we should do in the city if we were to bring the vision of One Nation One Day to the city of Los Angeles to bring it to America? And they almost fell out of their chairs. They said, we we think that that would be one of the greatest outreaches in the history of the Dream Center, perhaps one of the greatest demonstrations of love that the city of Los Angeles has ever seen. And we have to do it now. And so in 2020, One Nation One Day will officially become One Day LA. And we're going to go into the city of Los Angeles as the church from many states. You know, something is happening in America right now. This is a critical time that we live in. Man, I meant to be so much lighter this morning. I promise we're going to have some fun. But what if 2020... 2020, in case you haven't watched the news, will be one of the most divisive years in American history. Hate will be front and center. It's an election year, remind you. Racial division will be front and center. While the nation is dividing, the church is going to be uniting. And we're going to march. You can clap for that. Go ahead. We're we're, going to march into the media capital of the entire world, and we're going to put a flag in the ground as the bride of Christ, marching to the anthem of love having no limits and go in with 20,000 missionaries for one of the greatest displays of love the city of Los Angeles has ever had through the church. 20,000 missionaries going into the city of Los Angeles is one million hours of service. We're going to come in. We're going to unite the church. We're going to love this city like it's never been loved before. And we believe that it doesn't stop in Los Angeles, but it actually starts in Los Angeles because God is doing something in America right now. 
that what began, you know, there, there, in the wisdom of man, maybe there's an easier city for us to, to, to do an event like this in. <laughs> Pray for me and my kids. <laughs> but in the wisdom of God, if we go to Los Angeles first, there's nowhere we can't go after that. And then we're going to march, and we're going to start marching across America, and we're going to go to places like New York and Miami and all these cities, maybe Greenville. You never know. Uniting the church, flexing as the church, coming together and loving irrationally. Are you excited about that? And so we get to be a part of that, and I want to formally invite you to be a part of that. It's next July. You'll hear more information later, but I want to jump in in the interest of time this morning and and really jump in because I believe that, 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 that what's happening right now is critical. And like I said, there is a mark on our life. There is a mark on your life that is significant. I woke up this morning and I had this burden on my, on my, in my spirit, on my heart for you because I believe, I came to tell you this morning that there is a significant mark on your life that you were born for a reason, for a purpose and there is something so significant and right now is the moment where we get to stand and be the church and to do what God has actually asked us to do. How many know you weren't supposed to be born 50 years ago or you know maybe you're, you were born 50 years ago. What I meant by that is you weren't supposed to be living right now 50 years ago. <laughs> I'm starting to lose it a little bit. I'm going to be 40 this next year. I can hardly believe it. I'm 39. And every day that goes by now, I did this when I was 29. When I was 29, I woke up every day, I looked in the mirror, and I said, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 20s. And then when, I turn, when I'm turning 40 next year, I'm looking in the mirror every day saying, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 30s. But I'm embracing it, I love it. Let's move forward wisely. Um, I want to share with you a passage of scripture that's been a burden to me and what I woke up with on my heart this morning, Isaiah chapter 60. I encourage you to take some notes this morning if you're taking notes. Studies do show that if you take notes, you have a higher likelihood of getting into heaven. <clears throat> so, I'd like to see you in heaven. <laughs> it's up to you. Isaiah chapter 60. I want to read you a passage of scripture in, in verse 1. It says this. The prophet Isaiah said, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. Doesn't that sound like right now? How many of you know the Bible's full of prophecies? Some of them have been fulfilled and some of them have not been fulfilled as of yet. And deep darkness over the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, meaning people will be attracted to you, in other words. And the kings to the brightness of your rising, meaning, in other words, people of influence will be attracted to what's inside of you, not because of what you do or who you are or how, how you dress or how you look or how talented you are, but because of Jesus inside of you. Are you with me? Kings to the brightness of your rising, lift up your eyes around and see. This is such a fun verse for me. I got to stay focused, Gabe, because there's just, I, I want to stop and keep eating away at this with you. And I know that you're bubbling over as well. <laughs> Lift your eyes around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed by your side. Then you shall see and become 
radiant. And your heart will swell with joy. I love swelling joy. I don't want just a little measure of joy in my life. I like swelling joy. I like to swell, bubbling over, just like contagious, just crazy joy. Because the abundance, check this out. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. This is a lot of big words. Isaiah is talking about a time where God's people, there will be such craziness around them. There will be such society that will be broken down and morals that will be broken down. And a time where what the, the world would look at and stamp as a problem that, that we as Christ followers, as, as people living with Christ inside of us would rise up and say, that, 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 and show the glory and radiate God's glory through us and, and, and see what the world has called a problem as an opportunity for God to do something through us. And what I think is so interesting, you know, I, little, can I have an honest moment this morning? Is that okay? The rest of the time I wasn't lying, but let me, can I just be vulnerable a little bit? When I was younger, I played football. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, you played football. Um, I just went through a time where I wanted to play football. When I was younger, and I was in junior high, and I only, <laughs> I only did one year in high school uh, because my mom, so my dad is six foot three, and my, my mom is four foot ten. And so I just kind of landed in the middle of them. So I'm not the, the, the most football uh, body style that you would imagine. Um, I know that that shocks you, um, but I, I, I played football when I was younger, and I remember I was really quick, so they wanted me to be a running back, but I was super light. I was probably 100 pounds and maybe less, and I weighed like the same weight as the football, and, um, and they wanted me to be this running back, and so I was like, okay, and I really, I hated playing football because I hated being hurt. I hated getting hit. I didn't like when people would punch me. I didn't like wrestling. I didn't like, like, I didn't, I didn't really like playing football. My friends were playing football, and I got guilted into it. And then once I started, I didn't want to stop and be a quitter and walk away and hang on my pads and all that. So, but I did it for like five years, which is, no, four years, which is absolutely stupid. And um, every year, this, this, I had this moment for like a week before the football season started where I was like, I'm going to play football this year. And then the first day would come, and I'd put the pads on, and I'd be like, I hate this. I hate playing football. Why am I doing this? Anyways, um, I was so small, but I remember when they would call my number, there'd be these moments where we would be in the game, and no matter what would happen, when, my, when I got called, when they said, where's Bellhorn? Go. And they would call my number, and they would call a play for me, that was my time when the ball was being passed to me, when the ball was being, um, when the ball was being given to me and handed to me. I was had to run, or I was going to get killed. You know, and um, you have no option. Oh, you do have an option, but like you, you, like you could either run away from the guy who wants to knock you out, or or you could, you know, you could stand there and get obliterated. And I just would take my chances. And so I remember this one day. This is one of my last moments in football. We had this play. I was a three-back. They called 33, which means you go up the third spot, the third hole in the line, and the, the line was supposed to open up, and they were supposed to block for me. Well, that didn't happen, and so I got the ball, and I'm running, and I don't remember the rest. Um, 
there was a stretcher involved. There was all sorts of things. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I'm done. This is stupid. I'm not playing this anymore. But what I, what I remember about playing football is that when the ball was given to me, I didn't have an option. And I love this passage of scripture because Isaiah has said something in the very beginning that we read over very quickly. And I think as people of faith and as Christians, sometimes what we do is we hear something We hear what God wants to do or we read of a prophecy or we read of something in scripture or we hear someone say something or we hear someone talk about a future time and what God wants to do in our cities. And you know, if I'm being honest, one of the things that that we do and I do this and I'm guilty of this is I take what I know God wants to do and I put it almost on a shelf for a later moment. I put it out into the future. I put it out in in terms of what's going to happen, but not necessarily what's happening right now. Because if I allow myself to feel the gravity of there being an urgent sense on me now, then that is a great burden to hold. Are you with me? And so Isaiah gives us this, 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 this language, and he says, wait a minute, the ball's being given to you right now. You need to realize that, arise, he says, arise and shine, for your time, not is coming, but it has come. He says, right now is our time to step in. He says, look at the great darkness in our cities. Look at the great darkness around you. Look at the great darkness over the people. He says, lift up your eyes and see that people are waiting for you to love them. People are waiting to encounter the radiant glory of God through your life. How many of you know that that the cross is the essential part of of our faith. It, 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 it secures us of our salvation. It secures us of our eternity. But we can't stop at the cross. We start at the cross. The cross is our starting point. And that means that, that my Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. That means when I walk into a room, the room changes. Now, I realize that some of this is a little bit foreign for us, but you need to realize that as someone who has bent a knee before Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm all yours. If that's you, that means the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That means when you walk into a room, the room changes. And Isaiah said that our light has come, that our time has come, that this is our time. This is our time. And just for clarification purposes, if you want to know the will of God, it's very easy The will of God is summed up in the Lord's prayer when he prays for it to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. If you want to know what God's intention is for your life, if you want to know what God's intention is for your family, if you want to know what God's intentions are for your finances, if you want to know what God's intentions are for your neighbors, if you want to know what God's intentions are, it's very simple, on earth as it is in heaven. And that is accomplished through you and through me through us stepping out into our community and realizing that there is great darkness on, our, on the people right now, that there's great darkness in our cities, that there's great darkness in our nation, but we have an opportunity to come in and to put a, a flag in the ground and, and raise our eyes and say that, man, God, I, there's great problems around, but I'm your opportunity to see a solution to those problems because you're living inside of me. 
The will of God is simple. It's so that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in your marriage as it is in heaven, in your children as it is in heaven, in your workplace as it is in heaven, in your finances as it is in heaven. Are you with me this morning? You're just taking notes because you want to go to heaven. There's a guy that I love to read about in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Solomon. You may know the story. He's a very familiar character in Scripture. Maybe you're not familiar with the story, but um, there's this guy named Solomon in the, in the Old Testament. If you, if you read the Bible, that he's the son of David. And, and David, uh, if you know anything about King David, David was a man after God's own heart. We know the story. King David slayed the giants. He's a, he's a stone-cold killer. He's the guy who was um, just a wonderful king, a man after, like I said, after God's own heart, and someone who was, um, just had such a beautiful relationship with God. And, and he has a son named Solomon, and Solomon becomes the next king. And, and um, Solomon, I'd imagine, had a lot of... Mm, when he was thinking and growing up and realizing that he was going to be the king, I'd imagine that Solomon realized he had very large shoes to fill. You know, David was this great king and just a wonderful king and, and someone who God's promises and, and, and prophecies would be fulfilled. Jesus ultimately came out of the line of David and was, and, and so just a, he had, he had history and legacy and things that were before him and Solomon began to feel the weight of what was going on in society, what was going on, what God wanted to do through him. And I think it's important for us today, right now, to not necessarily look back at the past, but to look at right now in our future and realize that God wants to do something great in our city, in our workplaces, in our church, to change our communities, to change this region. But he needs to do it and he wants to do it through you. And what I love about Solomon is that he actually felt the weight of that. He felt the weight of what David carried. And so a lot of you know the story. One night Solomon's sleeping and God visits him in a dream and asks him a question. It's the only man that's ever been asked this question before. He said, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. Solomon could have asked for anything. Could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for um, peace. He could have asked for prosperity. He could have asked for um, a new car. Um, he probably would have got a car. There's no cars back then, but God probably would have made one for him. He could have asked for anything. And he answered him. And he said, God, how am I ever going to lead this great people without wisdom? Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Give me, give me wisdom. And you know the story. God was so pleased with what he gave him. But he, he, he said, I will give you wisdom. Because you asked for wisdom, you're going to be the wisest person that's ever lived. Hello. Amazing. He said, I'm going to give you all of the things that you could have asked for as well. Because I can trust you. I can trust you. And you might be saying, sitting there this morning, saying, well, God hasn't visited me in a dream, so I'm off the hook. The reality is, 
God has visited all of us and is visiting all of us constantly, saying, do you love me? And if you love me, let me shine through you. Let me display my glory through you. You know, arguably the reason that God asked Solomon what he would, what he wanted is because he knew how he'd answer. If you read through Proverbs, actually we, 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 we know that. Solomon wrote Proverbs chapter four and he actually says, he says, when I grew up in Proverbs chapter four, he said, when I grew up, my dad always, David told me, get wisdom. He had been prepared to answer the question. So when he was asked, God knew he could trust him with what he would ask for. Are you following me this morning? With me, some people, yes? So God knew. Solomon asked for wisdom. He's so, he's so obsessed with his assignment. He's so impassioned, inflamed, enraged with his assignment that he knew he needed to get wisdom. He knew he needed to lead the people in a great way. And so God says, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you wealth, and I'm going to give you all of these things. And how many of you know that wisdom is going to cost you something? When you get wisdom, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something in your decisions. Like, maybe I shouldn't do this. It's not wise. Maybe I shouldn't make this purchase. It's not wise. Maybe I shouldn't be concerned with the latest and greatest thing. It's not wise. Maybe I shouldn't make, hang out with these people. It's not wise. Maybe I, it's going to, wisdom always costs you something. And so Solomon continuously begins to have this just passion for what he knew God was asking him to do. And so he knew that he needed to have wisdom and he asked for wisdom and he gets wisdom. And what I love that the Bible says in 1 Kings, that's so powerful. It says, and God gave Solomon wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding. But check this out. This is the coolest thing. And he gave him a largeness of heart. You see, when we come to a place where we realize that our light has come, that right now is important, that I can't put off what God wants to do through my family, through my legacy, through my kids, through, through my life. I can't put that off for a future date. I have to know that it's for now. Does it mean that we don't plan for the future? Of course not. You have to be wise. But there is something urgent on God's people, on the people of God, you and me, that needs to be expressed on the earth right now, and it's why you're alive. God wanted to express, when God wanted to express a unique dimension of his love and purpose and an agenda for the earth, guess what? You were born. And we need to realize that, man, I'm here for a reason for right now. And when we have that passion, when that begins to rise up inside of us and we have this, this passion to see people reach and to see our communities change and to see cities transform and to see our nation transform and to see nations around the world transform and to end world hunger and to, and to give fresh water to people and to, and to help people who are victims of human trafficking and to go into the highways and the byways and begin to put a, a flag in the ground and declare that, that man, this is what we are and we're going to love. We're going to love on everybody. We're going to love everybody, everywhere, no exceptions. When we begin to do that as a church, do you realize we're going to be in like straight up revival? And it's not just because we're having a revival night at church. It's because that is what will change our cities. And now is our time.
to come together as a church. And when we have that passion, we get a largeness of heart. We get a largeness of heart. Ultimately, we were set apart to be salt and light. I love Matthew chapter 5, Jesus. Jesus gives us this picture of salt and light. And he says, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the, he, he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse, thing, verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you've probably heard that scripture. You've heard that, you've heard that scripture before, right? Many people have heard that scripture before. He says, you are salt and you are light. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I've, I've, I've preached this, that scripture before many times. And um, I, I, I like to go back and I like to read uh, in, into the commentaries and get involved and find out what Jesus was talking about at the time. And, you know, I just always assume, because salt was a commodity back then, that, that what, what, you know, what, what, what was Jesus saying about his bride, about his church? about his, these people that he was saying, you see, about his, his, his followers. What was he saying, you know? It, 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 we know that salt, like, was used to preserve meat, and, and so, like, you know, you're, we're, we're, we're going to preserve the way of God, and we're going we're gonna to do these things. And, 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 but that's not the context that Jesus actually said. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but look what he says next. But if the salt loses its flavor, how should it be seasoned? You see, I've always saw this differently. But what I've realized in about the last year, year and a half, is that what Jesus is really saying is that his people, you and me, we're supposed to be the flavor in our earth. Look at your neighbor and say, you are spicy. <laughs> if you're sitting next to your wife, you can whisper, in her ear, and you can say, you are spicy. <laughs> You're welcome, men. We are supposed to flavor things up. As Christians, you know, we, we go into this, <laughs> we hear of messages about evangelism, which is so funny, and going out into our community and being the light to our community and being salt to our community and ministering to our community and loving on people. But sometimes... No one here. But sometimes the people who go out into the community to make Jesus known, no one wants to be in eternity with them. You know the type of people I'm talking about? Like, you're, I don't, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to live forever with you? That sounds like hell. I'm good. I'll figure this thing out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for showing me what I don't want. But we're supposed to be the flavor. You know, we're supposed to liven things up. We're supposed to love on people. We're supposed to be fun. And, and I know that the, that, the, that the truth is offensive. And I know that, that it causes people to make decisions to, to follow Jesus. And following Jesus and being wise like Solomon was, it does cost you something. You no, know, a sacrifice is never a sacrifice unless it costs you something. And guess what? 
Yesterday's sacrifice becomes today's routine. We're always faced with new levels of sacrificing that, that we need to go through as we're pursuing and running after Jesus. I get it. But we're supposed to love people and flavor things up. We're supposed to flavor things up. But he says this. He says, he says but, Jesus says, if salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Only be trampled by men. And the more that I travel, the more that I talk with people who are going through the journey of their faith, the more I see that people feel more often than not, especially in the times we're living right now, they feel trampled. And the question I'm asking myself is, are we feeling trampled because we've lost our flavor? Are we feeling trampled because, man, we were supposed to be the ones. Now listen, the Bible talks very little about happiness and a lot about joy. It's a choice. You know, we get the opportunity. I don't know why things happen the way they, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I will never be able to answer that. I've gone through hardship. I've been on the mountaintops and in the valleys. I've experienced loss. I've experienced death. We all have. It's part of life. We've experienced things that we can't give an answer for but we get the opportunity in those situations to get up and look in the mirror and say, you know what? I choose to bring joy into this situation. I choose to smile. I choose to love even though I've been broken. I choose to forgive even though what happened to me is not my fault. I choose. Are you with me? And finally this morning, Jesus says, he says, you are the light of the world. Let me just ask you a question. Jesus says, we are the light of the world. If not you, then who? If not us going out and, and being a light to the world, then who else is going to be a light to the world? Let me just tell you something. When the church, and I mean you and me, when we're silent, the world has a voice. When the church is silent, the world has a voice. He says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but in its lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your works and praise your Father that's in heaven. Praise your Father that's in heaven. You know what I love about that? We are salt, we're light, but he says you're a city on a hill. What is Jesus saying? Now, if we literally look at what he's saying, it says that as Christ followers, he's put us into an elevated position to radiate light, to showcase light, that he's elevated you, not because of what you've done, not because of how good you are, not because of how talented you are, not because of how polished you speak, not because of how funny you are or how much money you have. What he's doing is he's saying, because I'm radiating through you, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna put you into a position of influence to radiate who I am to the world around you. Isn't that amazing? In the very beginning, why don't we stand to our feet this morning?
we have a passion and a fire and a sense of urgency on what is marked on our lives right now, we do things that are crazy. We do things that people look at and we, they say, oh, that doesn't seem like wisdom. Oh, you shouldn't do that. What are they going to say? In the very beginning, God made his creation. He breathed his life into us. He fashioned us, breathed life into us. And he gave us a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. He gave us permission to be fruitful. You see, when we have a passion and this unquenchable desire to know Jesus and to make him known, there's fruit that comes into our life. And Jesus, or God, God didn't say be fruitful and multiply so that we can enjoy our own lavish lifestyles necessarily or just take all of the fruit for ourselves and eat it our own way or whatever to keep the spoils for ourselves, He gave us permission to be fruitful so that we can give it to the world around us. And I don't mean money. I mean what's on your life. I mean who you are. I mean walking around saying, well, Gabe, I didn't sleep well last night. My back kind of hurts. Well, then take an aspirin and get out and smile at people. Because your flavor... Let me tell you something. Proverbs said, when the righteous prosper, cities rejoice. It's okay to prosper. It's okay to have fruit. It's okay to have swelling joy. It's okay because we get to give it away. We get to give it away. You're like Zacchaeus. That guy who wanted to see Jesus that one day and he, 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 he was too short. <laughs> I know his struggle. And Jesus is walking through the city and he's a chief tax collector and he was this man that no one really liked but he did whatever he could to see Jesus so he climbed a tree. He did what was probably weird for a chief tax collector to do. He climbed a tree just to see Jesus. Sometimes when you want to get close to Jesus and you want to know him and make him known, we got to do things that are uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? We're salt and light. Arise and shine for our time has come. Our time has come. You know, one day we're all going to stand before Jesus. We're going to give an account for our life. We're going to say, here's what I did with my life. And people who don't know Jesus will also stand before Jesus and give an account for their life. And in that moment... They won't know him as Savior. They'll only know him as Lord. And we get the opportunity to go out into our communities and to showcase who Jesus is through our lifestyle, through loving on other people. And so this morning as we close, I want to pray for two types of people, and we're going to worship together. But first, I want to pray for those of us who have said, Gabe, I have let my influence. I have underestimated what, what, what the assignment on my life. I've underestimated what God wanted to do through me. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be salt. I want to be flavor. I want to flavor up the things around me. And I want to be light in this community and beyond. And if that's you, I just want to pray over you real quick. Can we just close our eyes, everybody? Can we just pray together? If that's you, I just want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this morning. God, we ask you, God.
and we repent really of looking at our lives as insignificant, looking at the issues, looking at the hurt as a justification of why we will not be fruitful, why we will not multiply, why we will not have prosperity in our life that only you can give. And we stand up and we say right now in this moment, God, that you have appointed us for such a time as this and we're going to give what's inside of us to the world around us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're saying here this morning and this is your first time here or maybe you've been, maybe you say, Gabe, this sounds awesome and attractive, but I'm far from God. Let me tell you something. If it was all for you this morning, it was worth it. You're in the right place. You're in the right house. I wanna tell you to get plugged in and I wanna pray for you, man. You might be saying, Gabe, I'm far from God. I wanna know him. And today is your day to bow a knee before Jesus and say, I'm gonna live for you. To leave the old life and to step into something new. And it's not necessarily always easy. It's not some field of pansies that you're running around in feeling like light all the time. but it's the most exciting journey you could ever be on because it speaks to the core of who you are. And if, you, if that's you this morning, we're gonna pray together. And I want you to mean, I wanna say a prayer over you and I want you to repeat these words. And I want everybody to say these words together. Everybody, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm ready. Today I surrender. I believe that you lived died and rose again. So today, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. I want to pursue all you have for me. From this day forward, you have my life. In Jesus' name.